Good morning again. And it gives me great pleasure this morning to invite a friend back to fill our pulpit this morning, um, Reverend uh, Edward Pedley. He's served in, uh, in ministry for over 40 years, full-time ministry. Since retirement, he's still serving. And uh, he, uh, he married his uh, high school sweetheart, Charlotte. And uh, they settled here in the Highland community pastor ultimately and uh, then he was called to be youth pastor ultimately an associate pastor and a senior pastor here at West Highland he served us for 15 years he graduated from William Tyndale College with a degree in religious education his major is pastoral studies and he raised his they raised uh, Ed and Charlotte raised their children here Ken, Liz, and Sarah. They were products of West Highland Baptist Church and also attended the West Highland Christian Academy. And uh, Pastor Ed was uh, ordained into ministry here at West Highland in 1988. And he uh, facilitated the development of our bus ministry back in those days, bringing a lot of kids to Christ through uh, getting them into our congregation, into our youth ministry. He led wilderness camping trips, and that was where I knew Ed best. We burned a lot of wood around campfires, told a lot of stories, and Ed liked to pick up litter that kids would drop, and he liked to know who dropped it, and they got to do a, a devotion or sing a song that night. <laughs> but he has uh, spoken at uh, uh, teen retreats and uh, led mission trips, and then in 1990, he was called to the Essexville Baptist Community Church as senior pastor. He served there for 10 years while raising their kids through, through the teenage years. And then in 2000, he accepted uh, a call to serve at the First Baptist Church of uh, Holly, serving as senior pastor there until, 19, or until 2015, wrong decade. But anyway, when, while Ed was at uh, Essexville, he served as administrator of Youth Leadership Corps uh, with American Baptist Churches. And in that, he was mentoring and uh, empowering young teens and young adults to, uh, into the ministry to lead youth and, and be active with youth. We're always sorely lacking there. And then he was chair at the same time with the Michigan uh, administrative team doing financial uh, things and, and dealing with, um, with American Baptist churches. But anyway, I welcome Pastor Ed Pedley, a, a dear friend. And, and uh, unfortunately, uh, in the last decade, uh, we've seen each other mostly probably at funerals. But uh, he's still active in, in the ministry that he does. Pastor Ed? Thank you, Bob. Um, one of the things that uh, Bob and I probably could do is uh, very easily run on a rabbit trail of all kinds of memories. Uh, in fact, thinking about coming here to share with you today, uh, since Galen called me, I've just been reflecting on so many different things. Uh, I remember I 
preach my very first sermon when the pulpit was over there. And uh, I did it with Max Bryan, same time he and I. Uh, if you knew Max, Max was an incredible guy. He uh, worked at General Motors Proving Grounds. And uh, one day he was driving around the track out there listening to the radio, heard the gospel message, stopped his car on the track, got out and knelt down and accepted Christ as his Savior. Uh, a delightful, delightful man. And then he kind of made it his mission from that time forward to go to work early, and then he would program the radio stations on all the test cars. <laughs> that was Max's part of ministry. Um, when, uh, when I spoke with Galen, he, uh, he asked for, uh, for prayer for a couple of things. Uh, one is that uh, God would give him uh, wisdom and grace as he uh, seeks to serve the kingdom of God. And then a special extra measure of wisdom and grace as he seeks to serve each of you and helping you to grow closer to the Savior. And then I wanted to add a third one to that. I wanted to add that we'd pray that he gets a speedy recovery uh, suffering from COVID. That was his parting gift from the cruise. Uh, I know that he uh, stayed away from people so he wouldn't get it before he went, but oh my. And uh, Leanne's tested three times, told me, and she's negative. So that means that they're living at the other ends of the house. Uh, I, uh, I'm excited about being here. For uh, Charlotte and I, uh, this is like home. Um, 15 years co-laboring with people in this church, raising our family, and uh, seeing the grace of God. Uh, just incredible. Uh, I remember that Galen was the last person I baptized when I left here. And I understand that uh, Galen now is the last person to be ordained in ministry from the church here. Um, so maybe it's time for somebody else to get the call. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I know when Galen was in Ypsilanti, he encouraged four different members of that congregation to get started in seminary. They did, and they are all ordained in the leading in the church, and so maybe he will provoke someone here uh, to do the same. Uh, you don't have to be a young person. It can start anywhere in life's journey. And so uh, I would encourage you to think about ways in which God is calling and using you. Um, I want to uh, share this morning uh, obviously from God's word, uh, but before we begin there, let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you. Thank you that you are more than sufficient, that you have come and brought us together today so that we might hear of you, that we might grow in you, and that we might reach out to others. We thank you for our very salvation 
and the grace in which you provide for us on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Morning and evening, you are present. And so we ask now your blessing on these few moments that we have together, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I was asking Lloyd what my time limit was here and if the clock was still on the wall back there. You know, when you get older, you can't see very good. <laughs> so as long as it's Sunday, we're good, right? <clears throat> I wanted to talk about the light of the world. And in uh, John's Gospel, remember, John has got this first-hand knowledge of Jesus. He's the youngest of the disciples, and he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. I believe he's being the youngest. I think Jesus might have surrounded him with a little bit of extra tender care because, granted, he was hanging out with a bunch of fishermen, and, uh, and so he probably gave him some special attention. But John writes in John chapter 8 and verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then if you go to John chapter 9, starting there at the first verse, he says, as we were walking along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, he said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who has sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. So this man went and washed, and he came home seeing. When, uh, when I was here uh, as youth pastor, uh, one, I, I got, really it was a crazy idea. I did a lot of those, still do. Um, I thought, why don't we take a group of young people out in the woods for a week or so, get them away from all the distractions that are in this world, and uh, just have some time to focus on uh, one another and on what God wants to do in our life. And so we started doing backpacking trips. Uh, and as I begin to reminisce about this, I, I think we did a lot of them. <laughs> we, we went to New York, to Pennsylvania, to Ohio, to the Upper Peninsula, to Isle Royale, to Canada. We went all of these incredible places with, uh, with the young people. And when I left here and went to the Essexville church, I thought, you know, I should expose 
the young people here to this incredible experience. And so I took a group uh, off into uh, an experience and uh, I remember we settled in for the first night. We built a campfire that evening and a little later after most of the folks had retired, uh, a few of us said, hey, let's, uh, uh, let's just go for a little walk in the woods. You know, maybe we'll look for a bear or something. Uh, and we'd seen that before, so it wouldn't be uncommon. <laughs> so uh, we started on this little venture, the few of us, and it wasn't too long before we realized we were lost. <laughs> um, I had this little trusty flashlight, and you know how much good that is in the woods? <laughs> this thing will shine the light about five feet in front of you, so that you don't step in anything. <laughs> Bears live in the woods. And um, we, uh, we, all <laughs> we all had different ideas about the direction we should go. And, uh, and finally, one of us had a, a, an idea uh, because he saw something that none of the rest of us had seen. And that was off in the distance, he saw what we needed. It was the glowing lights of our campfire. And with that, we knew exactly where we needed to go. And so with this little trusty light, just getting the steps in front of us and seeing that glowing embers in the distance, we knew our way to our camp home. That's the power of light. Light brings clarity, it brings direction. Light brings understanding, and it brings certainty. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that those burning embers were the way home, follow the light, and that we did. There have been times in my life, in my spiritual life, when I have been on what would be called a walk in the woods at night, I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing, or where I was at at the moment. And maybe you've experienced something like that. You're kind of maybe in a moment where you're in a walk in the woods. Maybe you don't know where you're going. And as a church, you're in a walk in the woods as you begin to look for new pastoral leadership. And I think I have some things that will help us in that walk. In fact, uh, in the, uh, the world that we live in today uh, is like wandering through the woods. Because uh, we're surrounded by darkness. We live in a culture where uh, getting to the point that uh, we don't know who we are and where we're supposed to be. And I think it's self-inflicted. As people in a culture, 
We've turned away with intention from the truths that we know and the things that have blessed us in the past, just like the people of Israel did so many times through their history. Now, that doesn't mean that everything in our culture is wrong, but it does mean that there are some things that need change in the direction of the light. And the same can be said about our individual lives. Some of us have, with intention, turned away from the light, and having begun to look elsewhere for meaning, purpose, fulfillment in life, and the result is we lose sight of certainty. So today, I want to talk about the fact that we live in a shadowy world, a world that seems more gray than it does pastel, a world that uh, you can't count on just anyone to guide you through it. I mean, the government doesn't have the answers. And frankly, sometimes I'm not sure that they even have our best interest in mind. Uh, you can't really count on the media to shed light on a subject because they really don't bring the news with both sides of the story. I really believe that in anything there's three sides to the story, yours, mine, and then the facts. And I think that we need to shed light on the facts. There are shadows about, and those shadows have a profound effect on our life. You can't live without direction, you can't live without clarity, and you can't live without hope. And that's why, according to so many studies, today's generation is more depressed and pessimistic than any generation in history because they live in a world of shadows with diminishing and ever-diminishing light. And even though we find ourselves living among the shadows, we can learn, we can learn to walk in the light. And uh, there we'll be able to see clearly beyond the confusion of the moment into a crystal clear reality of God's presence. So I want to suggest three keys to how that might happen. If you keep these truths in mind, I believe you'll experience God's light in your life, in your daily life, and it'll make a difference in everything around you. So here is the first. Jesus is the light of the world. I know you, you certainly already know this, but we need to keep in mind exactly what that means. It means that it is only through him, through Jesus Christ, that we are able to understand what light is. Back in 1950, Charles Templeton, who was a famous evangelist, often preaching nightly to crowds of 10,000 or more, 
He was also good friends with Billy Graham, and the two of them used to preach together. But Templeton began to doubt the aspects of the Christian faith, such as the reliability of Scripture, creation, evolution, heaven, hell. And eventually, he stopped preaching altogether. And then in 1996, Templeton wrote a book, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. He was officially done with ministry and officially done with Christianity. And Lee Strobel, maybe some of you have read some of his books, was interviewing him, uh, wanting to find out from Templeton what it was that uh, made him reject the Christian faith. And so as they debated things back and forth, Strobel asked Templeton what did he think personally about Jesus. And this is what Templeton said. He said he was the greatest human being who ever lived, a moral genius, the wisest person I ever encountered in my life or reading. And then he said, everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. That's, that's what it means to be in the light. Everything good, everything decent, everything pure. As uh, John 8.12 tells us, it says, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Through Jesus, we have learned things like love your enemies, forgive those who hurt you, seek to serve others rather than judging and condemning others, and so on. Today's psychologists and social scientists say the beginning of understanding and the way to live includes those truths. Loving your enemies, forgiving those who hurt you, and focusing on a life of service. These are the signs of an emotionally stable, resilient, well-balanced person. And that's why Jesus is the light of the world, because his teachings demonstrate a life filled with light. Templeton ended the conversation by saying this about Jesus. He said, you know what? I miss him. In his years of atheism now, where will he ever find those qualities other than in Jesus? Here's the second point. 
following Jesus fills your life with light. I always had assumed that uh, airport runway lights by now were just a thing of the past. I mean, you know, with the ability of aircraft and all the new instruments, uh, those lights on the runway must purely be for decoration. Ought to be able to land a plane and, you know, blindfolded. Well, in talking with the pilot, he told me, well, not necessarily true. He said, those lights serve a purpose. Instruments work only up to a point. And after that, the pilot needs to see where he's landing. He's got to see the runway. So it turns out those quaint little lights serve a vital function. Sometimes we get to the point that we think those quaint lessons that we learned in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or so many years ago, they're not relevant in our current world. But it turns out that pop psychology and Twitter-endorsed wisdom will only take you so far. When it's dark around you, you need the light of Jesus to guide you into a safe landing. The good news is, is that you can count on him to be with you. When I, uh, when I first started here uh, as youth minister, I only worked here part-time. I only worked here five days a week. Uh, and the church gave me the opportunity to, uh, to have an outside job two days a week. Um, so two days a week I would uh, work for an asbestos company um, covering pipes and boilers and I would drive into Detroit uh, usually where uh, most of those heavy industrial jobs were and one morning I'm driving in and I'm working on memorizing and meditating a passage of the Psalms. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, O Lord, for I trust in you. I got to the warehouse to pick up material and they weren't there yet, it wasn't open. So I thought, okay, any good construction driver knows exactly where the closest coffee shop is. So I went. I went in and sat down. Now remember, this is 50, 60 years ago, so some of you will go, I don't get it. Um, I went inside to get coffee and there was a big horseshoe counter. And I sat down, ordered my coffee, and I looked across and on the other side of the counter was my Sunday school teacher. Sam Mackey was his name. And I, <laughs> little Eddie Pedley was not necessarily a good kid. You should know that right off the bat. Um, so I thought, I'm going to go say hi to Sam. 
So I went over to say, hi, Sam. And he goes, Ed, how are you? He said, I think of you every morning. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> You're probably thinking, I'm glad he moved on. He said, I pray for you every morning. He said, I have on the back of my sun visor of my car the name of every boy that I've had in my Sunday school class. And when I stop at red lights on the way to work, I go through that list. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, O oh Lord, for I trust in you. That's living in the light, folks. On another journey in one time, I'm working in Proverbs now, and I'm saying, the scripture says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Okay. So I get on the job, and we're working around, and it's time for a coffee break, and come down off the scaffolds, and there's some other employees and some plumbers there uh, on the job. And this one plumber, one who worked for the... Uh, chemical company, dope, and he working for, came over to me, and he had a can of pipe dope, and he's spinning around the brush in the pipe dope like this, and he's got a buddy now who's come over and watched, and he's kind of making chit-chat with me, and he goes, you know, he said, I'm not sure this stuff is any good. Smell this. Yep, he painted my whole nose. Now the Eddie Pedley went like this. But then in the back of my head, I heard the psalmist, or the author of Proverbs, saying, a soft answer turns away wrath. So I just said, yeah, it smells good to me. I think it's okay. With that, there was a little bit of embarrassment on his part. The fellow who was standing behind him brought a rag and wiped off my nose. That's very kind of him. Two years later, or about two years later, I'm back working in that same chemical company, and that plumber is looking for me. He has cancer, and he knows life is short. I'll be seeing him in glory. A soft answer turned away wrath, and it gave me an opportunity to talk about the Jesus that you and I love. You can count on him to be there. That's why in Isaiah it says, the sun will no more be light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. To experience his everlasting life means two things. It means that you need to spend time in his word. You got to know him 
to know his love. And it means you have to spend time in his presence. If, if you don't memorize scripture now, if that was something you did in Sunday school, uh, but you don't do it now, I want to encourage you to work on memorizing scripture. You know, you can get a little app for your phone. It'll help remind you, keep you working on verses. So important. And it's not just the memorizing of the verse, it's being able to meditate on the verse. You know, the word meditation comes from the word rumination. That's what cows do when they eat. Um, cows have more than one stomach. So what they do is, you know, they'll go out in the field and they'll eat a bunch of alfalfa, chew it up, swallow it, and they'll go over and lay down under a shade tree and regurgitate it and chew it up again and swallow it. And then later in the day, they'll bring it up again and chew it and swallow it and get every bit out of it they can. That's what we need to do with the Word of God. What does it mean that he loves you? What does it mean that he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? God loves you. And if you'll spend time in his word and then spend it in his presence and that's what meditation is. I don't, uh, I don't sleep like I used to. There was a time when I would just drop in bed and the next thing would be Charlotte going, are you getting up? Now I, I have lots of opportunity in the late night to look at the ceiling and think about the incredible gifts God has given to be in his presence with him, to think about scripture. And I'm quite convinced that the devil doesn't like that and he puts me right back to sleep. So if you're having trouble with insomnia, work on scripture. We need the scripture and especially the gospels because that will help you immerse yourself into the life of Jesus. Uh, and you need to learn certain principles such as when you, you lay your burdens at his feet, Jesus is going to comfort you and give you rest. When you uh, give him your sin, he's going to cover you with forgiveness. When you uh, humble yourself before him, he will lift you up. And when you give him, give to him, he will give back to you, pressed down, shaken, and overflowing. Uh, the bus ministry that we started here, I had, I had great <laughs> memories of bus ministry uh, and the bus itself. That's a world of stories all by themselves. Praise God for Garner Sherwood. Um, 
one Saturday morning, I used to go every Saturday morning around the neighborhood, knock on doors, and especially those that I had already connected with and pick up, and just say, hey, we'll be here tomorrow morning, you know, pick up your son or daughter or the whole family in a couple cases. And one Saturday morning, I get up and I'm ready to, to go, and Charlotte says to me, our, our well pump's not working right. It's going on and off, on and off. I thought, oh, great. So I went down the basement and fumbled around for several hours trying to figure out what was wrong with my pump. And I finally ended up calling Garner Sherwood. <laughs> he said, oh, your tank is just, uh, it's uh, short of air. He said, get a pump and pump some air in it. It's waterlogged. So I did that, bingo, done, fixed. I'm like, all right. Let's get out there and call on those houses. So I'm out, I'm running around the neighborhood trying to go as quick as I can. And I'm up here by the proving grounds now and I'm just getting ready to come back home. And there's a little subdivision up at the top of that hill that I'd never been in before. And so I said to myself, Lord, do you pay overtime? So I turned in, I went to the first house, I went up and I learned doing calling on doors, forget the doorbell, half of them don't work. Right on the door, shake the building, you know. It does call the dogs, that you gotta be careful about. Um, but nothing. I can hear music playing, there's toys in the yard, I know there's kids there. And then just off from the porch on the house there, there's a crawl space and it's open. So I give it one more bam, 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 bam on the door. And then this guy comes out that hole. What do you want? I said, well, I'm, I'm here. We have a bus ministry that comes by every Sunday morning. We'll pick your children up or you and... You know, I don't have time for that. He says, my pump doesn't work. What's wrong with your pump? Eh, it just keeps going on and off, on and off, on and off. I said, do you have a pump? I fixed David's well in no time. Then he says to me, why are you here again? I said, well, I'm here because we have a bus that comes around. Well, I'll get our daughter Tammy ready to go tomorrow. Well, Tammy started coming to church. Then Tammy's mother started coming to church. Tammy's and Tammy and Tammy's mother came to know Christ. And it wasn't long before David said, can I ride the bus too? And David came and David accepted Christ. And I say they accepted Christ because my pump didn't work. <laughs> Even that is the light of Jesus working in your life.
I mean, there's more story. On M59, a house I stopped, the guy's laying underneath his car. He's, I, didn't, I don't remember if he's changing the oil or what he's doing. So, me being me, I just got out of my car, walked over and slid under the car with him. I said, what are you doing? He looked at me like, who are you? <laughs> his son and daughter rode the bus. His son David accepted Christ, and David became a Nazarene pastor. It's okay. <laughs> it's just saying, Jesus, I want to be in your presence. I want to experience the light. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. And you get that by being in his word. And I heard it said that if you're in the reading program, if you started, you should be in Exodus 18. Well, if you didn't start, you could start today at Exodus 18, and then next year as the year starts, just catch up. When you spend time in his presence, when you walk with him, talk with him, fellowship with him, everything in your mind, God will fill you with light. The psalmist in Psalm 89.15 said, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. If you feel like your life has become overcast, dark, here's how you begin to find your way to the sunlight. Spend some more time in his word. Spend time in his presence. Spend time with others who are of like precious faith. Because he's ready to welcome you. He won't turn his back on you. And he will lead you into light. And so as a third thing I want to bring to your attention, when your life is filled with the light of Christ, others will be drawn to the light. Jesus said something on the Sermon of the Mount that I think if I'd have been there in person that day, I might have raised my hand to object. Well, what did he say? He said in Matthew 5.14, it's recorded, he said, you are the light of the world. And my response would have been, no, Jesus, you're the light of the world. But what he wants you to know is, yes, he is the light of the world. And when you follow the light, you become the light to those around you. I think technically it would be you're the reflection. You're the reflection. And people will be drawn to you. Over the years, there's one thing that I have seen in common about most people's faith journey. 
I've learned this <laughs> from listening to people's experience. I myself, I became a Christian when I was 13. Uh, it was really a trick of my sisters to get me to go to camp, probably so I'd be away for two weeks. Uh, but my, my, my parents, I grew up around the church, lots of Christian examples. Uh, my mom, my dad, my sister um, were, were fine examples for me. But there is this one thing, and that is that uh, I had this coworker, this friend, and uh, at 13, when I accepted Christ, you know, I came home from camp and I was going to live for Jesus. And I did for about a week and a half. And I didn't get in the Word. I didn't get in His presence. I didn't get tied up in a fellowship. I didn't have a small group to be part of. Uh, but this friend, this coworker that I had, I watched his life transform. Jesus was making such a difference in his life. What he had, I wanted. And so now I found myself reading a book that before I had no idea how to read it. I began thinking more about spiritual things. And now that I've, uh, I've grown, uh, I continue to be amazed at all of the things God continues to reveal because his word is just deep. It's when people see the light in you that they're drawn to the Christ that is in you. I equated in my head to a moth after the flame. They're just drawn to it. 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In other words, be drawn to the light. Follow the light. Walk with Christ. Experience the fullness of his mercy, his grace. And as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. I want you to think with me for a moment. Imagine that you're in a room that is completely dark and everybody else in that room is wearing all black except for one person and that believer is wearing a glow-in-the-dark green jacket. Who do you think the people in the dark are going to go to to find their way. You are the green jackets. 
you're the light of the world. And we live in a dark world. And like those who are around us are stumbling in the darkness, if we will shine like a light, people will be drawn to Jesus. There's the light that will lead them. They will come to him. Grace, mercy, joy, peace, purpose, power. Those are the fruits that they will come to. But how will they find Jesus? The answer is really through you. Letting your light shine. He is the light of the world. When you follow the light, the light of Jesus, you become the light of Jesus to the world around you. If this is Jesus, and this is you, I can even get them out there in the hallway with the light. Look at that. And in the sound booth. And out that window. You're the light of the world. Get next to Jesus and shine for him. Pray with me. Lord God, how you have blessed us. We are lost, stumbling around, and you bring us your son that through him we have life and life eternal by confessing our sin to you you give us the gift and the promise of eternal life lead us this day and forever help us to be the light of the world and for that we would give you praise and thank you in Jesus name Amen